A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And before we get to this week's Malava Malka episode, I want to read a letter that I just got um, from a listener, and knowledgeable listener, and actually just read a tiny excerpt from the letter. It was really long and some very interesting stories in regards to a recent episode we had about Rav Salvechik. And apparently um, this uh, listener had an uh, opportunity to speak to Rabnata Greenblatt of Memphis about um, his time with uh, Rav Salvechik. So I'm going to read just a short excerpt from the letter, a couple of goodies, uh, good stories and insights that Rabnata shared with this fellow. And here it goes. Rabnata Greenblatt is the only one alive that learned by Rav Yashaber in the early kibbutz as he calls it, in Boston in the 1940s. It was made up of approximately 16 boys, all European besides for Reb Nutta. Reb Michal Feinstein gave shiurim during the week, and Reb Yashaber gave once during the week, and on Maitzi Shabbos, the shir of the Rav would start at 8 p.m. and would often go until the Bachrim told him he man shachris. The dormitory was John Adams's childhood home and had no heat and it had broken windows. He said that often the water for Nagelwasser would freeze. The shear was in a room in Rav Yashaber's house, which was completely bare, other than a framed photograph of Rav Chaim. He said there was never a shear in which, in which he didn't, did not quote Rav Chaim. Once the, yeshiva, once the yeshiva got the mumps, which required everyone to be quarantined, together in Rabbi Yashaber's house. He said that during that time, Rabbi Yashaber had a map of Europe and gave a whole sheer on how America and its allies can win the war. End quote of that short excerpt from the letter. So again, uh, you know, so it gives us an idea. Half of the world now is in quarantine. and But luckily we're not during World War II. Um, again, before we move on to today's episode, also want to pay a tribute to the recent passing of a legendary figure in American Jewish life, Dr. Marvin Schick, who just passed away the other day. Someone who uh, was, uh, you know, everywhere in American Jewish life and education, 
and uh, he started off in the Tzairi Agudas Yisrael, was involved in Chinuch and of course his main affiliation through decades and decades of work and building was with the RJJ schools. And in general, he was involved in the day school movement and in Jewish education. He had a very, very close relationship with the Baron Cutler. Baron Cutler was one of the only, uh, or was one of the rare Gedele Yisrael who didn't just have Talmidim in the yeshiva, but he produced and and cultivated students who were communal activists, people like Irving Bunim or Zev Wolfson or Moshe Sherev, they go to Yisrael. And of that cadre of activists who were Talmidim of Rabbi and Cutler in that sense, as Askanim, as, as activists for, for the Jewish people in many different ways, so the last one, pretty much the last one alive, was uh, Dr. Marvin Schick. He had an intimate relationship with Rebaran. Um He was one of the only people that Rebaran would speak to in, in the post-war years about Kletsk. Rebaran was actually known for not talking and discussing Kletsk uh, with anyone. He wanted to be focused on rebuilding, and, but he would just schmooze with, uh, with Marvin Schick about it occasionally. He used to eat... Shabbos is with him very often. A very, uh, he accompanied him everywhere on trips and fundraising. Very close relationship with him, and that's definitely another link to the past. Uh, Marvin Schick was a piece of history, so unfortunately, he just passed on. So now we can finally move on to today's episode, and um, the personality that we're going to discuss a little bit today was one of the most interesting people of the 20th century, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Kasher. Um, and, um, and if you follow, uh, Jewish history soundbites on Twitter, we put it out as a guess who riddle. We wrote that he spanned most of the 20th century. Right? He lived uh, until 1983 had a nice long life. And we wrote also that, um, his name is, uh, the same one as someone who had a yard site today. And that was obviously Menachem Mendel of the Tepsk. Whose yard site was today the Priya Aretz, one of the greatest personalities in the history of Hasidus, whose story we'll save for another time. But that was the answer to the riddle, so he has the same name, Rabbi Nachmendel Kasher, who was a somewhat of an enigmatic personality, something of a mystery, traversed the world. He moved from, shifted from one position to the next, and uh, let's delve into his story a little bit, and it really. Uh, he reflects uh, through his life story a lot of the different uh, currents of the time during the era that he lived in. He grows up in the capital of the Jewish world, in Warsaw, of the time, um, the great Jewish community of Warsaw. So he's in the center of Jewish life. He studies under Rameir Don Plotsky, the Klichemdos. He's in the heart of Polish Hasidus. He's a Gerachasid, and as a Gerachasid, as a young, budding Talmud Chacham, as someone who had smicha from the Klichemda. He um, he joins the Polish Agudas Yisrael under the leadership of the Ger Rebbe of the time, and he's at a young age, the age of 19, he was already the editor of their journal, which ironically, the journal of Agudas Yisrael, in those days was called Degel Hatayra, and he was the editor. And then he was involved in right after World War One in the founding of a very important institution, which perhaps we'll uh, speak about uh, at a future time. Maybe maybe we'll speak about it soon. It's a great story. Also, the Masifta of Warsaw, also under the auspices of the Ger Rebbe. 
but a lot of people were involved with that. A lot of the great leaders of Polish Jewry, a lot of the great leaders of Chassidus in Poland, and a very important and fascinating institution, the Masifta of Warsaw. So Menachem Mendel Kasher was one of the founders, and he gave shiurim there regularly. He was one of the people who ran the institution, and he held a, a, an important and official uh, position in the Masifta um, for a couple of years. But then a few a couple of years later, the Ger Rebbe, the Imre Emes, and his first visit, to the first of five visits that he would do in the interwar period, he comes to Eretz Yisrael, comes to Yerushalayim, and he decides to found a yeshiva in Yerushalayim, the first Gary yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, and he names it after his father, the Svasemes, and he appoints Ramanachem Mendel Kasher to be the Rosh Yeshiva. So he's the founder of a second uh, Polish Hasidish yeshiva, again under the auspices of the Gary Rebbe, and he's the Rosh Yeshiva there for the first two years of its existence. And though that, that at his, this young age, when he already had these two major positions in the Jewish world, that ended his official positions in Jewish education. The rest of his long life, he would be involved in being a prolific author. His literary output is, is almost unmatched. The amount of tens, maybe hundreds of sfarim and, and, and things that he was involved with. Um, yeah, in, encyclopedic mind, and many of his forum were encyclopedic in, in writing and style. Not that I've uh, seen any, read any, but I've read about them. So, pretty impressive. So, he leaves uh, his official positions in Jewish education and goes into writing. Now, he, in that context, he goes to the United States to fund his forum, and he lives in America for much of the interwar period, and he's involved in in, uh, in a lot of uh, activity of American Jewish life at the time also. He comes back to Israel in time for World War II, and he assists the Ger Rebbe to come to, to Eretz Yisrael, to Palestine at the time. Um, and again, he's from Warsaw. He's affiliated so much with the Ger Rebbe all these years, uh, and he considers himself a Ger Chassid, and then he was to later have somewhat of a break with both Agudis Yisrael, which he was involved in, and the Ger Rebbe, or Ger Hasidus. I don't know if the Ger Rebbe was after the Ger Rebbe passed away already, um, at least with the Ger Hasidus, when he became a full-fledged uh, religious Zionist, to a certain extent a Messianic religious Zionist, which, uh, which he struck out a very independent path. He, um, he, uh, Back in Poland, he had been a a secretary with the Aguda Sistrel, with the Mojetsis Gedele He was heavily involved with the Aguda, and here it was a definitely a serious break. He becomes full-fledged Zionist with the founding of the State of Israel. He even comes up with a uh, with an idea that they should uh, ha- add a fifth cup of wine to the Seder uh, for this Geula that just arrived with the State of Israel. You know, we have Yom Atzmaut coming up this week, so... Talk about that also. And he wants to have a fifth cup added as the final, uh, or not the final, but uh, as another stage in the Geula, and we should start drinking that. So if we if we would have all the additions that were added to the, uh, or there was attempts to add to the Pesach Seder over the years, you know, there, there was a movement in the United States uh, during the Cold War to add a fourth matzah, for a Soviet Jewry, there is another another lobbyist group in the Jewish world that wanted to add an orange at one point to the Seder plate. 
So here you have Reb Kasher's attempt to add a um, a fifth cup uh, to the to the uh, the four qu- qu- cups of Geula that we drink for the Lel Haseder, and that was kind of his legacy. This attempt, he even tried to convince the chief rabbinate to institute it as a new halacha that they should do. And just to, just to give it, you know, context, the chief rabbinate was known to be Zionistic and part of the the Zionist establishment, part of the state, right? And and uh, and here they looked at this idea with askance, and they were not interested in implementing this, uh, which was, you know, a bit radical. But Rav Menachem Mendel Kasher was was both a genius and creative, and uh, and he was also quite independent minded. Um, he, like I said, he breaks ranks with the Agoda, he breaks ranks with the mainstream of Gerach Hasidus, even though there were other prominent Gerach Hasidim who moved moved in different ways in that time. Biyam Mintz is a whole story with Pelagod Yisrael, it's another story. But either way, Menachem Lekash definitely was in a messianic Zionism, and especially years later, after the Six-Day War, he became even more out into the open. He wrote one of his many famous forum, HaTakufa Hagadoyla. In the wake of the Six-Day War, the Great Takufa, the Great Era, the Great Period of Time that we live in, in which he explained, and he proves with the whole slew of proofs from his, again, his encyclopedic knowledge of Midrashim and Kabbalah and, and, and everywhere and Chazal and whatever, um, that this is the beginning of the Geula and it's a Messianic uh, era. And then he appends as an appendix to the Hatkufa Gadayla. He publishes in what was then in a completely unknown sefer written by one of the Rivlins in Yerushalayim, Koil Hatoyer, which I discussed in another episode, which allegedly was was uh, was uh, was written by an ancestor of the Rivlin family, Reb Hill Rivlin uh, of Shklov, but was actually written by his descendant. It was forged by his descendant, the Shlomo Rivlin. And here, Menachem El believed that it was really written by this student of the Vilna Gain and reflected the Vilna Gain's attitude towards um, towards um, the Messianic era and moving to Eretz Yisrael and uh, those those times. So he's the one who made it famous. The Kalatar was unknown until that time that uh, Menachem El uh made it famous. So he he gained renown for that as well. So he's involved in a whole slew of controversies over his his career. Um, obviously, his Zionism and his shift, his Zionist identity was one. Um, it was wasn't easy to take someone who was from the Warsaw aristocracy, close with the Ger Rebbe, part of the Agudas Yisrael, and it's such a huge Talmud Chacham. And here he moved all the way to you know adding a fifth cup, uh, and writing Atkufa Gedayla, publishing the Kol Atar. And uh, and uh, and uh, and and giving that legacy, that was that was uh, you know a controversial facet of his personality and career. And um, there are other ones. He when his time from his time in America, he got became involved in all sorts of things with uh, American rabbinic life uh, and the American rabbinate and the different. Uh, and he and he you know wrote Sfarmi. He visited America quite often also, so he was heavily involved in American Orthodox life and the rabbinical world there. And he was involved in the initiative to set up an Eruv, excuse me, in Manhattan, which brought him into a dispute with Ramesha Feinstein, no less. Um, Ramesha didn't, you know, disagreed uh, with with his idea of of um, of making an Eruv in Manhattan. He got himself involved. Menachem Kashi got himself involved in a date the Dateline controversy, which was 
you know, a story that I addressed in another episode recently also, the international dateline when the refugees, uh, thousands of Jewish refugees from Poland, Lithuania were stuck in Koba, Japan, uh, the beginning of uh, World War II. So it became a very a big story. So Rav Kasher wrote quite a bit on the dateline controversy and his opinions about that, which brought him into dispute with another fascinating, uh, also amazing genius in Talmud Chacham and a very interesting personality, Rav Chaim Zimmerman, who wrote, and they had a polemical uh, debate with the different sfarim and kuntresim and pamphlets and writings that they wrote in regards to the dateline issue. Um, so that that was another uh, controversy. He he took on Saul Lieberman, which is also an episode we had recently about Professor Saul Lieberman from uh, from the seminary, and 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 Lieberman had uh, had was trying to solve the Aguna issue, which is an age old issue in Jewish. Uh, life by having a get clause written in to the original marriage contract and Rabbi Mendel Kasher was not happy with the way Lieberman was solving the Aguna issue and wrote uh, about that and against that as well. So he he was definitely not, not scared of controversy and took things on, but his main focus in his basically his entire life was writing, his literary work, his output, and his output is phenomenal. His, his life's work was the Torah Shlema, which was a compendium, again, an encyclopedia in style on the Chamisha Chumshe Torah, and the entire Torah to bring in all the different Chazals and he wrote an enormous amount. He edited a journal, a Torah journal called Noam for many years. He wrote literally tens and tens of Sfarim. And in 1969 when the uh, when Neil Armstrong and and um, and they, they reached the moon, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins, Michael Collins didn't reach the moon, but you know, close enough. And they 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 talk about going to the moon. So so Rabbi in four days wrote a short sefer about reaching the moon and what the ramifications are in Jewish thought and halacha and all that. Um, he discovered a whole the whole trove of the Ragachover, Yosef Rosen, the Ragachover guy, the Rav in Dvinsk. Um, uh, his his writings, and he starts to edit his writings. He goes into a partnership. Rukasher goes into a partnership with YU, and together for many years they work together in a project to put out the Tzafnas Paneach, many volumes of the Ragachover's writings. He later wrote notes to it and wrote commentary on it and explained it and wrote svarim on it. And he was again a project that he was very much involved with uh, for many years. So. He, his main and primary uh, legacy was his um, his literary work, the different farm that he wrote, covering every facet of, of uh, Chazal and Kabbalah and Medrash and and Shas. And he wrote Sarei Ha'elef, just as another example, a bibliography of different farm that were written during the Middle Ages, during the time of the Rishonim, and even earlier, during the time of the Ga'inim. Uh, he is encompassed, and he was very into printing it. I mean, he wanted to get things out and have it printed. Uh, several of his descendants continued his work following his passing in 1983 to try to continue what he had started and uh, keep on putting out uh, many of the svarim that he had begun and the research that he had begun. So that's uh, a drop about this fascinating figure of Menachem Mendel Kasher and, uh, and his story and his life. This was Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, 
sources, tours and trips to places of interest in the Jewish world. You can subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.